Good morning. If you'd please turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 2. This morning, Lord willing, we'll be finishing um, the section Titus 2, 1 through 10. And and we're going to focus on verses 7 through 10, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 to get a a picture of the the entire section because um, though we're finishing 7 through 10, the teaching in verses 7 through 10 really flows from verse 1. And, and it's, I think it's important for us to, to see that. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, and then we'll read, read 1 through 10. But as for you, Paul's speaking to Titus, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do come here um, resting on the sacrifice of Christ. Jesus was, is rich, crowned with glory and honor. God, yet for our sake he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Help us to see the way that Christ in his sacrifice and death and resurrection changes us changes us to be lights not not proclaimers of ourselves but of him how the gospel reorients everything we do to make Christ known and God as we as we see what you call us to may we not leave discouraged and hopeless May we not leave self-confident, trusting in our own merits. May we not leave rejecting, thinking that this is folly. May we submit and surrender to the power of Christ's gospel and walk forward by faith knowing that only he works in us the power to do what is pleasing to you. So we trust you to accomplish that work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So 
So as I mentioned that the, the instructions for verses 7 through 10 flow from verse 1, which is teach what accords, or what, like the what is the things, the behaviors, the good works, the deeds, the type of living that accords or aligns or, um, or is consistent with sound doctrine, which is fundamentally the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is finishing up that section. Paul has been sitting down this church, just like we're sitting down for the past few weeks, um, in front of a wardrobe. It's a wardrobe of the gospel. And he's bringing out clothing and gear off the hangers and the shelves. And he is fitting us. He's fitting the Christians with useful, proper, appropriate garments. The clothing that is coming out of this wardrobe is built for doing it's made for a purpose it's made for a task it's meant to be worn and and put on and 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 displayed sometimes we think that when we pick out clothes we we base them our our clothing on the opinions of other people i think that's a big temptation Um, our first thought when we get dressed is to think well how might others think of me based on how i dress what will others think? Paul's not talking about that kind of decision making here when he brings out these garments. There's one goal, one task in mind, um, and, but it has many applications. This clothing has functional purpose. Think about the, the use that it has. We wear it for what it does. And in verses 7 through 10, Paul hounds out two different sets of clothing for, us to, for, for two different groups. The first is teachers, and then there's, there's also clothing for workers in the workplace, in the, working, in the working world. And so my goal for us is to see these clothes, see, see that they're worth wearing. They're worth putting them on and displaying in our lives. And they're not only worth wearing superficially, but they are essential to the life and health of what it means to be the people of God. They're not optional things that we should just think about. So as I said, there's two groups. The first, there's, it, it's, verses 7 through 8 is a direct address to Titus, the teacher. Titus, who's a leader and a teacher in a church. This church on the islands of Crete, which by implication, anyone, I think, teaching, leading, can, can take, and, and actually the whole church can take some encouragement, but, but think of, of teaching and leading. And second group is bond servants. And this group... Um, it's different, but they have similar applications for us for, for those who have bosses, maybe in the workplace and in the world. Um, I think we can find application for that. Those of us who are under authority in the world, we can find application. So to, to go through this, we're going to look first at what, the, what Titus and the, you know, the leaders, teachers, what they wear and why, why they wear them. And then we're going to look at what bond servants wear, what workers in the world wear, and why? Why do they wear them? And, and hopefully leave with helpful application for us, real-world application that we can apply in our context. All of us are under some kind of authority, and I think we'll even see that all of us have a, have a teaching role, whether it's formal or informal. So first, what must teachers wear? Teachers need to put on or wear protective God-fearing garments. I think that's, if you sum this up, the the commands in verses 7 and 8 
They wear protective, God-fearing garments. And, and there's, there's three different types of things that these teachers display. In, and, and I think the combined aspect, though, is this understanding that the te- those, those who teach, who see their role of leadership in some way, shape, or form, have a high fear and a high reverence of God. Now, before I go too far, I want to briefly address some translation challenges for those of you who don't use the ESV. It is a very difficult in the Greek to see here if Paul is talking to Titus about the content of the teaching or the means, the way with which Titus is to teach. In other words, is, is the teacher teaching integrity or is he supposed to teach with integrity? And I just want to say that because if you're using the New American Standard, um, the, the sense is that there, there is a sense in this, that I, th- I think of that uh, the, the teaching is integrity, is, is something that is being taught. I think the, the ESV indicates that Titus is to teach with integrity. It's, it's, the way, it's the way that he is to teach. Teach with integrity, with dignity, and with sound speech. That is not to be condemned. Um, either way, the point is cr- pretty crystal clear. Um, we have an example of Titus who is a model. So we have, we have um, a model of good works. And we know from the book already that the way that we live our life is teaching something to other people. So, so there is a sense of, of the way that we live is a, is a, a sense of teaching. And um, we know from previous passages, that Titus is to teach. And Paul would not exclude integrity, dignity, and sound speech from the way that he is to teach or the content that he is to teach. I think both of these have application. Another point is it's really difficult to, under, to discern if Paul's talking about public teaching, like what we're doing now, or what you do in Sunday school, or private teaching. He, it, the word could be translated doctrine or teaching. And we, again, have seen throughout this book that our life is teaching something. Our words are teaching something. And so, no matter where you are, whether you're an older woman who is looking to be an example and to teach younger ladies, or if you're an older man, or if you, or if you have some level of opportunity to, to, to display the gospel's work in your life. I think this has application for you. So I, th- I don't think any of us should have to think, well, this is only talking to Sam, even though this is hitting me right in the stomach, or to a Sunday school teacher or whatnot. This is, this is ap- applicable for all of us. So a little aside there, now let's get into this. So they, they teach with integrity, dignity, and sound speech. So the first thing they wear is integrity. Teachers see that teaching without good character is not good teaching. The word literally means incorruption. I don't think it means that they're perfect, that teachers are perfect, but I think it does mean that they're mature and growing and they, in sin, seek quick restoration and repentance. And this is a call to be serious about the way that we live when we teach the word. Our lives, not only our teaching, but our lives are 
saying something, and we should be teaching with integrity. Secondly, this is um, teachers are to wear dignity in their teaching. This is that same quality found in older men that we studied two weeks ago. And it could be rendered as serious, dignified. Now, when you hear the word serious, I think some of you, or I, I kind of think about it this way, seems like glum or somber or mean when we think of the word serious. And I don't think that is the way Paul is referring to it. Because all those examples that I'm talking about refer to your tone, the way that, the way that your tone projects. Are you teaching with a, a serious, somber, glum tone? Throughout the, throughout the Bible, we see Paul use joy-filled expressions. Who can separate us? Who can separate us from the love of God? I don't think Paul said that or was thinking somber thoughts when he put down Romans 8.35. Or we also see fiery warnings from the Apostle Paul. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? We see warning, we see serious. If tone is all that is imbued, a dignified teacher understands that the purpose of tone, tone isn't all that is in view, but if, if you're thinking of tone, I think the appropriate use of tone does apply when it comes to dignity. For example, when teaching about the, the damage and the destruction that sin causes, we don't teach in a lighthearted or playful manner. Sin is serious. So dignified teaching is serious teaching. We're not playing games when we come to the word of God. We, we understand that. When you think about it, when we teach the word of God, we are telling people what God is like and what you're like, what our lives are like. This is not something to, to take lightly or playfully. Jesus said that you're going to give me, everyone, on the day of judgment, we give an account for every idle word. Every idle word, every careless word we speak. So we don't want to be playful in our teaching. Third, um, we dress our speech with irreproachable truth. Sound speech. So that I say truth because we've used that word sound. It's come up multiple times throughout this letter. And it means healthy and a good synonym is true. In other words, Titus is to speak what is true in his teaching. And to add the extra clarification, he says, teach sound words that cannot be condemned. Irreproachable words. Be concerned. Be highly concerned that in your teaching, you're teaching what is true. And this is, I think, a sober thing because sometimes half-truths or, or untruths are savory things to hear. Sometimes they can be really tempting to want to say, to tickle our ears, but the Bible and, and this command is to speak what is true, irreproachable truth. Now let's look at the why. So those are the things that they're, they're to be wearing, these teachers. Why? Why must they 
be dressed this way? And there's a couple answers. One really quick one. It's, it's clear, but it's also clear throughout all 1 through 10. Um, they dress this way to be models and examples. Paul says that to Titus right at the beginning of verse 7, and it's clear throughout. You see the model of men and women and young women and young men. We, we are models um, of, a, of a godly life. So we teach and, and we, we carry ourselves this way to be models for the church. Titus is to be a type, a model of good works. But the clear indication here, if you look at the reason, because just like last week, we had a reason for all doing this, and at the end of verse 8, we see another reason. We can see that putting on these kinds of good works is that they act as a protective armor for the church. You can see that at the end of verse 8 there. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That's the reason for why teachers should teach this way, why they should teach with dignity, integrity, and sound speech. They see that the clothes that they put on, it, 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 it protects the God, uh, God's people. How does this happen? If you're asking, I think you can see there, but they protect it by, from these opponents. So whether they're inside the church or outside the church, there's clear indication earlier in Titus that there is internal, some sort, some sort of internal hypocrisy, heresy going on, but it could be outside as well. What happens is these teachers live in such a way that these opponents, whether they're inside or out, they're stripped, they're removed. Any accusation, any legitimate accusation is completely taken away. So they can spread rumors, they can spread lies, and we know from last week that that, those types of things can still happen. But the legitimate ones can't be found. There's no legitimate. That, that word evil really means evil. Like, they're doing evil. And it really is evil, not just supposed evil. Real, real evil. They're ashamed in that they desire to oppose the gospel, but they don't have anything which can really be used to oppose the gospel. How is this helpful for us? I think, I think there's a couple things to, that, that shows this is helpful. For, first of all, for leaders for, and teachers, if maybe it's formal or informal, I think it helps us ex- expand the view of, of ministry. Expand your view of ministry. So you've got to know that the way that you lead and, and teach is strongly impacting the health of the church. It's playing a big role. It's either safeguarding the church from opposition or endangering the congregation. And, and, and we know that a great evil that has come in the, in the American church is leaders failed through undignified, undignified, lack of integrity, lack of sound speech. The church is wounded by a, a failed leader's witness, that the way that they, that they live in the world. And so it's a helpful reminder to know that um, we don't want to, play games with this. And it's also helpful because I think it helps a leader remember, this is very similar, but helps them remember who is supposed to benefit from this. Who is supposed to benefit from the way that we teach and how we teach and what we teach. Who's getting the benefit? Read the end of verse 8 with me. So that an opponent may 
be put to shame, having nothing to say, evil to say about you. No, us, us, the, the, the congregation, the, the body of Christ. So it's, it's other focused in our teaching. I'm not looking for praise and glory for myself. We're, we're not looking for praise and glory for ourselves. but it's, we're looking to benefit and, and grow and help the body of Christ. And that is a really helpful thing if you're engaged in any type of teaching or leadership um, because the first thing that comes when you step into a leading, a teaching opportunity is pride. How can I get something out of this? And Paul, I think, is really quick and really helpful to say, Titus, when you teach, you teach in such a way so it doesn't hurt the body. You help the body. You think about the body of Christ when you teach. Not making a name for yourself, Titus. That's not the goal. You help the body. So now that we've talked about teachers, let's look at that second group, bond servants. Bond servants. So that word literally is slave. And contextually, the ESV translates it as bond servants. Uh, we know that in the Greco-Roman world, slavery existed. And many, many bond servants, many slaves became Christians. And Paul isn't naive to that. He is seeking to help these people. How do I live? How do I live in this world? And I think we can see some really um, good crossover for us if I have someone who's leading me, if I've got a boss, if I've got somebody that I answer to, how do I do this? How do I do this well? So I'm a Christian, and maybe my boss isn't a Christian. I think the clear indication here is that there's an unbeliever, or there could be an unbeliever. So he may have bad business practices, he may be a jerk, he may be abusive, verbally or something like that. How do I live as a Christian? How do I do this? What do Christian workers in the world wear? And the general principle that Paul lays out for the way that they carry themselves in the world is that they wear attractive garments. Attractive garments of faithful submissiveness to their masters. It's it's clear to see in verses 9 through 10, submissive, well-pleasing, Showing all good faith. They show submissive faithfulness or faithful submissiveness. They seek to please their masters. So he describes um, these garments in a few different ways, right? Submissive, well-pleasing, faithful. But he also provides some contrasting um, evil works that, that we should avoid. And so I'll just hit on a few of these and... and and let's, let's, let's look at, at the contrast as well. So first, they, they wear these garments of submission to their master. I think that is a word which, which takes prominence. It's the first thing mentioned, and um, it, it, is a, it sets a tone for all of their behavior. It's the same word, same word used when speaking to young wives in verse 5. It's the same word. They are, uh, so these bond servants are supposed to see their subordination as an opportunity. Uh, I've got this boss, and I, how am I called to live the gospel out in the world? I should, I should be submissive to my, to my boss. I seek to serve and, and submit. And uh, this is another worldly call. If you, if you, if you imagine some of the situations that, that a bond servant might be placed in, bad boss, mean boss, 
Paul says, submit yourself to them. That's a good way to live, as opposed to being argumentative. So being well-pleasing, submissive, as opposed to being argumentative. So they believe that their master's will is their way. They, their master's will is, is the way that they're going to be heading. My boss is the boss. I see that, that this is the way that I've got this, this opportunity here, um, and, and his boss is over me, and so I'm going to not fight an argument, an argue. So say, this same word is used in verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, for those who contradict the gospel. Oppose, the teachers are supposed, or elders are supposed to um, refute those who contradict the gospel contradict or, or seek to usurp with their words. So they also wear faithfulness. They wear faithfulness. Um, so when they're around their coworkers, I think this is, this is a, just thinking of something practical. I'm around my coworkers. The boss isn't around, and he's good for nothing, and he, um, he's lazy, and he, all he does is bully us around, tell us what to do. He never engages and when my coworkers start to badmouth him, because I've had bosses and I know what it's like, and I've been a boss and I know what it's like. When you're under a boss, it's really fun to gossip about the boss when you're together. So when they start doing that, I think a Christian bond servant says, "I'm not going to engage in that. I'm going to be faithful." I'm not going to base my faithfulness to this boss on his behavior or her behavior. They wear faithfulness. As opposed to being pilferers. Not pilfering, Paul says there. They're faithful as opposed to being pilferers. So they see that I've got, I've got a vocation and my vocation is under this master, this boss's vocation. And, and I get that. I'm not trying to use his, his, the benefits of, of the job that I have to skim off the top or, or steal my time when I, when I can. I'm not using the opportunity I've been given to pilfer, to, to take a little for myself. And, and I know we, think of, we could think of the, the most um, blatant examples, right? Like stealing money. But it just says not pilfering. So time, copy and paper, not pilfering. They remember that they're to be faithful to their boss. I'm working for him. I'm going to be faithful to him. That's a high standard. And I, working in the world, I know you'll look odd to your coworkers. And you'll look stuck up. And you might be labeled as the boss's pet. Someone who is uh, too good, you know. Everybody engages in that, right? But this is the call. This is the call that the gospel places on the life of a bondservant. Why are they dressed this way? Look, they wear faithful submissiveness. Now let's answer it. Why? What's the reason why? And it's right there at the end of verse 10, right? And this is probably one of the most beautiful and astounding statements. Not pilfering, showing all in faith. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. 
So that's the third and final of the reasons. There was a reason after the young women, so that they may not revile the word of God. There's a reason given after Titus's commands, so that um, you may put your opponents to shame. They won't have anything evil to say about the church, about us. And here's the final one, so that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is a wonderful reason. Let's look at that word adorn, and, and, we'll, and we'll close up and see how this final point, I think, kind of brings the, the entire section, or at least 7 through 10 for sure, together. So we've got to understand what that word means. So I want to say two things that I don't think it means, um, and, and I think we'll see later on in Titus why it doesn't say these things. But first of all, um, I don't think Paul means that our good works are the proclamation of the gospel. And I say that because Romans 10 is very clear that, that people do not believe the, the message of the gospel unless it's proclaimed. And so your deeds are great and your deeds are commanded and you're, and you're meant to, to display these things, but they are not the replacement for the gospel proclamation. They are not the message itself. So adorn does not mean this equals the gospel message. And another thing I don't think it means is I don't think Paul uh, says, is saying here that our good works are adding. So if you're adorning something, you're, you're adding to it. You're, you're, you know, I've just got this tree and I'm putting all these ornaments on it. I don't think Paul is saying th- that um, our good works are adding to the gospel because in, in Titus 3 he's going to say not by works of righteousness, which we have done. So it's, we're not adding to this. We're doing these good works, but it's not, it's not adding to the gospel. So what does he mean? What are these, how do these good works work? I think Paul is saying that our good works are showing, displaying, highlighting the value the worth of the gospel. I think that's what Paul is is getting at. These garments show that the gospel is powerful enough to change your life. He's not saying that you're doing these things to say something new about the gospel, adding to the gospel, you are showing it off. You're highlighting it. The value of the gospel. A shirt is a shirt. Whether you wear it or not, it's a shirt. You don't make a shirt more shirt-like by wearing the shirt. You're not adding to it. The gospel is the gospel. Whether you adorn it or not, when you do gospel-shaped good works, when you do submissiveness to your boss and have integrity in your teaching, you show the power of the gospel. You show that it's powerful enough to change your heart, change your behavior. And then in doing so, these clothes that you have on, you are proclaiming. You're proclaiming the greatness of the salvation. It's an attractive gown. You're showing that this thing works. The gospel works. It's sufficient to change my heart. When you adorn that gospel 
message. Another thing about it is these garments, they show that the gospel is attractive to an unbelieving world. They show that um, when, when a bondservant who is not a Christian and maybe you're working with an unbelieving boss and you don't pilfer and you show all good faith and you're well-pleasing and you're submissive and you listen, you're actually showing that it's, this is a good message. I'm not trying to antagonize you. I'm trying to be faithful to my God and I'm being faithful to my God by listening to you and being submissive. That submission is a wonderful display of the gospel. Christian submissiveness is. It shows that we believe in authority. God creates authority. And it's good. We'll see later on that this, this goes all the way to the top, to the highest nations in, in chapter 3. God is a God of order and structure. And we, and we, don't, we don't seek to, to refute that. And finally, most importantly, these garments show that submission and faithfulness and being well-pleasing, it's a beautiful depiction. It's a beautiful depiction of what's really at the heart of the gospel message. The beauty of the, and I think you can see this in the term, God our Savior. You see that? God our, we're adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. God in Christ, who is our Savior, How does he save? In what way did Jesus save us? Jesus saved in this way, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus saved by the greatest example of selfless sacrifice the world will ever know. He did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, and he went to the cross. So when you're adorning, when you're doing this, When you're submissive to your boss, when you're faithful to your boss, you're adorning one of the wonderful, one of the most wonderful messages at the heart of the gospel that Jesus humbled himself for us. And we're just following after that. In his perfect humility, I can be submissive. I can listen. And this is where the command to Titus, and I think the command to, to bond servants unites, because there is one thread, there is one common thread going through the, the, the behaviors of the teacher and through the behaviors of the bond servant, and this thread is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, as if you're leading and teaching, you can Deny yourself and seek to live a life of integrity and seek to live a life for the glory of God, building up his church, protecting his church. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about these, this body and may they be protected and may this gospel be adorned because it's not about me anymore. 
at the heart of the gospel is, a, is an example of a selfless savior. I think all of these commands, if you look at them, even throughout 1 through 10, all of them are saying, you've got these desires, die to them. You've got these desires to be great, die to them. That's not what real life is. Jesus has died for you, so you can serve and teach and serve your boss and glorify God in that way. And in doing so, we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We protect, um, as teachers, we protect the messengers, the ones who are proclaiming this gospel message. We are the church. We are the, the, the church, and, and we're full, filled with people that are bondservants, that have bosses, and we have teachers in it, and we have old men, and we have young, young men, and we have old women, and we have young women, and we are called to by the grace of God, display, let our lives be a display of the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we, in thinking of these commands and, and looking to them, may, may we seek, seek to do them, may we seek to proclaim them, preserving the church, preserving those who are proclaiming through integrity, dignity, sound speech by thinking about Christ and what he has done. And also in in the world, the opportunities that we have in the world, proclaiming the beauty of that gospel message, showing that Jesus died for me, he submitted himself for me, so I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to serve you. And do that too. And show the transforming power of the work of the gospel to an unbelieving world. Let's pray. You call us, you call us, God, to, to live for you in this world. And the only way that we're truly going to live is if we die by the power of, of Christ. May we see his work for us, his sacrifice, and, and, and in, do, in, in doing that, may we seek to make him known in our work, in our teaching, keep him central. In Christ's name we pray, amen.